project resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Please make sure to reference Medical Coding Geek when you place your order. Do you need a specialized recruitment partner to send you only qualified candidates? Do you need interim staff while you conduct a search for a permanent employee? Or are you losing hires to competitors? Renowned Talent recruits experienced HIM, RCM, and CDI professionals using their trusted candidate screening and retention process for health systems and employers around the U.S. Whether you have one or multiple openings that you need to fill ASAP, please visit Renowned Talent. And tell them you heard this ad through the NEC podcast. Again, visit RenownTalent, R-E-N-O-W-N, Talent.com, and tell them you heard this ad through the NEC podcast. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to. Do not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. All right, everybody, welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. I don't have a guest this week. The guest that I am supposed to have uh, for the next two weeks, unfortunately, when we scheduled uh, the session, the first first time we tried, it was raining real bad in both of our areas because we both live in Florida, about an hour apart, I believe, and the storm was affecting our internet. So we tried again (laughs) for the next day, and it is still raining. Just keep in mind that um, in Florida, we are in the peak hurricane season, so uh, all of these rainstorms kind of come in un- unexpectedly and uh, totally affect our interview. So hopefully next week, um, we will have a guest. In the meantime, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Over 70% of our listeners listen to this podcast on their iPhone so please pick up your Apple device, go to Apple Podcasts, and leave our show a five-star rating and a review. You could check out Medical Coding Geek and Not Also Classified on social media, including Facebook and Instagram and TikTok for Medical Coding Geek. You could check out our Facebook groups by going to medicalcodinggeek.com slash services. And while you're there, if you need to promote your service or brand, through our media platforms, including our podcast and our YouTube channel, please feel free to reach out to us. And of course, you could find me, Brian Kui. My last name is spelled C-U-I on LinkedIn. Um, also, I just wanted to share that you can listen to the podcast on Facebook if you check out the Not Elsewhere Classified uh, Facebook page. It allows me to share the feed, and as I enter the feed, that also goes to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. It also goes to Facebook, so please check that out. For today's uh, fill-in for the podcast episode, this is actually the audio portion of what I just recently released on our Medical Coding Geek YouTube channel. I explained the situation in the audio, but just to give you guys an idea, this is a mentoring session. Uh, This student reached out to me last Friday and was searching really bad for a professional to help her out. Um, And she told me that her assignment was due on Sunday, by end of Sunday, like, you know, Monday at midnight. And um, I felt like, hey, I guess I can do it. Uh, Would you be willing to uh, be on camera? But unfortunately, she actually works during the weekend and was not able to to attend. But if you listen to the audio, I do invite her back because I would like to talk to her about that situation. Anyways, I went on to LinkedIn and uh, posted the message that Marilee had showed me. 
and you know it 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 really to me it's like the third this is the third time that somebody has uh, stood up a student. Uh, the first time um, I had referred her to my former supervisor boss, uh, Sabita Ramnare, she helped her out. Um, the second time I helped out the student um, because nobody was helping her. It was also the same situation where the student um, the student couldn't find anybody to help her with her interviews. And this student here, she actually found somebody on Facebook. Um, but then made a connection, but never heard from that person again. Uh, so on Facebook, I'm sorry, on LinkedIn, I made a post saying, Hey, look, you know, you can't stand up your, or ghost your, uh, students that reach out to you that are seeking insight. I mean, I know it is an assignment, um, but you know, they're also practicing their networking skills and, and doing these interviews, definitely puts into practice that networking aspect. Uh, so, you know, one side is the student, but also, you know, a student accountability to make it done, to make it um, happen and to step out of the box to just do a call. Because again, I've seen still happening in my uh, Facebook groups where students are asking for interviews and, um, all they want for them to do is to just email a, email those questions and have them answered. No interaction. Just here's here's my questions and answer them. So uh, I try to stop that. Uh, I want the student to not do that. I want the student to reach out, have a formal or informal, um, just some form of conversation between a student and a professional. Uh, and the student should be asking those questions and the professional will be answering those questions as well. But in this scenario, I, I, I did it solo style. Uh, basically, she gave me the questions and said, hey, look, if I can't, if we can't do it because you're in a short time crunch, I will answer the questions for you and um, you'll have them ready for your assignment. So that's what I did. So the next hour is about, I believe she told me 15, but it was actually 14 questions <laughs> uh, that I realized that she had given me. Um, it's very similar to the um, previous mentoring session that I did that I released on uh, the Not Also Classified podcast and also the five-part series on YouTube. So without further ado, I'm not going to hold you guys up. Here is the audio portion of the solo mentoring session for Mara Lee that was released last week on YouTube, but now just releasing the audio version. So please enjoy. Thank you. All right. So this is... Let me give you the scenario here. I believe this was Thursday or Friday. I think you know, it was it was Thursday. So this on Thursday, um, the student reached out to me. Her name is Merrily. So Merrily, uh, this video is for you. She came in and messaged me on my Facebook uh, page, Medical Coding Geek, on Facebook. She said, "Hello, I'm currently in my first semester for my associates for medical coding." And this week we were assigned to come up with 15 questions to ask a professional in the field. I asked another group and one said yes, but has since ignored me. Can anybody help with this? So um, I guess I run into this uh, a lot where people try to get professionals, but unfortunately professionals cannot help them. Let me start off by saying this before I start answering some of the questions. I mean... What's going on with you guys, with the profession? What's what is going on with the professionals in in trying to help our students out? Uh, I think this message is for the professionals to step up and help your students. Um, I don't, I, I don't. It shouldn't be a a um, a concern of competition. I mean, that's one thing that I I'm, that comes to mind. When the, as a reason why we don't help our 
our young professionals is the worry of losing jobs or uh, increasing competition. No, uh, when you think of the industry, we need to strengthen it. And if somebody is asking you for help, and in this instance, you agreed and you ghost the student, um, I, I don't know. Uh, that's that's one thing that's that's happened to me as a professional where people say they will do something and they don't. And then when you're trying to reach out, they don't respond. Where's the professionalism in all of that? Anyways, so um, I have or Mary Lee gave me 15 questions. Unfortunately, she could not make it today. So I am going to do a recording of answering these questions that she came up with. Um, I might have to clarify some of the questions that she has created uh, based on uh, how it's written. Um, Because she's not here, I would love to have her on so that way we can kind of go over some of the answers. And, and, And because I'm giving the answers, I would love to hear her feedback on those questions. That's the reason why I wanted her on. But uh, because of the boy, <laughs> a short time notice, um, today is Saturday. Her assignment is due tomorrow night. And uh, whoever was supposed to help her out um, really put her in the bind. So I'm trying to get her out of that bind here. So let's get to the questions. I have, I'm going to show you guys here uh, 15 questions. I'm going to start off with the first seven. Okay. And I am going to navigate through this software and uh, answer these questions. So number question number one, what would you do if the patient file was unclear? Now, the first thing that comes to mind when I, when I hear patient file, there's two types of, I guess, files per se. One of them is the administrative file for the patient. The other one is the medical file for the patient. So I am wondering which one is that? Is it an administrative file, meaning that the patient's name, uh, demographics, uh, location, insurance information, is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about the medical file that has the clinical information, the medical records? Okay. But to answer either way, um, if either is unclear for the patient file, the administrative file, there has to be a clarification process in order for you to, you know, I guess, create an account for a patient. Like if you're trying to create an account with the patient's name, insurance, date of birth, et cetera, you know, any, anything in terms of demographic data. You want to make sure that you are clarifying that. You want to make sure that you are, you know, as a registration person, you want to make sure that you're verifying it as you're going along. Because the problem is is that if you don't verify the patient's information as soon as they come into the office, to the ER, to the hospital, then you're going to have data that is really spread out, meaning that you might have one patient with two sets of data. And that creates problems because uh, when you create one patient with two sets of files, then you have two sets of medical records. And then when they come back to the hospital, then you have to refer back to two versus one. You get what I'm saying? Like it's it's hard to to, you know, if if one piece of information of the medical history is on one file and another piece of medical history is on another file, you risk the patient's. Uh, safety, you, patient, you risk the patient's quality of care because information is spread out, all right? So for the patient file, socioeconomic, administrative data, administrative file, this happens, this needs to be caught up front. Now, if it's not caught up front, well, then it's up to whoever is reviewing that file to catch, hey, this is wrong. We need to correct it. So it needs to go back to the beginning where it should have been um, corrected and made correct in the first place and get it corrected. I've seen instances where patients, where you have one patient, two, two files 
of information where they require to have that information merged. <clears throat> so uh, in hospitals and in health information management departments, there are merging functions. Okay. Um, on the other side of the coin, if the patient's medical file, the clinical information, the physician documentation is unclear, then this would require what's called a query. And a query is basically a question to the physician based upon um, information that may not be clear uh, to the reviewer, to the medical coder, to the CDI, to the nurse, to another physician. And so you would have to place a query or ask the physician to clarify the documentation. Um, <clears throat> And this instance is called clinical documentation integrity. I've done it for about 12 years. And that's how you would uh, really clarify any misinformation or any uncle unclear documentation by the physician. <coughs> so that is numero uno. <coughs> Let's get into number two. So number two is what are the main skills that you think a successful coder must possess main skills. So if you refer back to um, the previous mentorship, I highly suggest you do. Um, I have already answered that question, but I will answer this question for, for you. Main skills for a successful coder I think the keyword that you've put in there is successful. And in my last mentoring session, the skill that you think that I feel that would make a successful coder is understanding your clinical skills. And you are taking a, let me go back. I believe it is your associates for medical coding. So as part of your program, there should be some form of clinical class, medical science class, um, clinical foundations class that you are receiving. Uh, you want to make sure you get the full, you, you, the best bang for your buck uh, for that class. You really want to focus your attention, question that course, challenge yourself in that course, because without clinical skills, without understanding the medical process, you cannot be a successful medical coder. The medical coding part is the easy part, but if you cannot understand what you're coding, the medical or the clinical process, then you are going to struggle. Uh, medical coding processes and guidelines are, to me, they're difficult, they're easy, but yet difficult because you need to practice them. But uh, understanding your clinical and medical skills and knowledge goes a long way. Uh, another skill that that um, I think you need to be possessed, be possessed, you need to possess <laughs> as a medical coder, a successful one, is the ability to abstract information. I don't think I mentioned that in the previous uh, mentoring session, but when you are reviewing medical records, it's your ability to look over massive amounts of, of data and to abstract out vital pieces of information for you to assign a medical code to get an understanding of what's happening to the patient and this happens to develop over time uh, you're not gonna it, there's a difference between reading a line versus reading a full paragraph reading a full page and you as a medical coder with with productivity requirements for your job, you need to be able to scan that record and be able to abstract out pieces of information, then take that information and come up with the decision and understanding utilizing your skill of clinical skills and medical skills uh, and understanding to put it all together and say, hey, that should be assigned as a code, okay? Um, another skill that I think a medical coder should possess is communication skills. You're not going to be taught that in school, but um, to the fact that uh, 
I'm going to tell you the truth. You just wanted me to answer these questions. <laughs> just type them out and uh, send them to you. Uh, it shows to me that there is there is a need for me to intervene here uh, to promote your communication skills. Not in the typing sense, not in the chatting sense, but in the sense that you need to connect with a professional and communicate verbally, on camera, in person, over the phone, whatever it may be. Uh, we cannot do electronic communication. If you're going to be a successful professional medical coder, you need to possess really good communication skills. And I think for students, the first step in, in, in achieving uh, being successful with communication is to break out and reach out, which you did, uh, which I, I give you uh, kudos for that. The next step after that, which I'm giving you, is let's get on a Zoom call. Let's get on a call. Let's get on something so that way we can you know, talk about this uh, on camera so that way you can practice. Because if you practice with me, you can practice with everybody else uh, and it will help develop your network. All right, let's get to number three. Uh, number three, what are some tips you can give a new medical coder who is just starting out? And I think it goes back to my my last topic is, is networking, right? So if you are starting out, I'm assuming when you say start out, you just completed your associates, okay? You just got your certification. And I I think the underlying question is, well, how do I get a job? <laughs> I think this is the question that you're, that I'm reading in between the lines here, is that how do I get a job? All right, so again, you did the first step, is you reached out to me. But don't just reach out to me, reach out to other people what you've done. But unfortunately, you had a bad taste in your mouth with that person ghosting you. Uh, that's not good. Uh, but it does happen. I'll, I'll let you know that. It does happen a lot. So when you are faced in that situation, you need to just you know get up and, and move on. Hey, it happens. But you'll find people out there that are willing to help you, like myself. Um so education certification uh, to me the next thing is is networking network with professionals you want to investigate out the field you want to feel out the field you want to do a reconnaissance of the field in your area by reaching out to professionals you can do that with your local aapc chapter you could do that with your local ahima um uh region uh you can go into your state uh, you're using, I don't know, well, you, used, you used Facebook. So Facebook is good, but also LinkedIn is great. So you want to reach out to professionals out there that you look up to. Reach out to them. Let them know, hey, I am very interested in you. Uh, is there a time that we can talk? And, 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 you know, at least a few minutes of your time to give me some insight. Maybe there might be a pressing question. Uh, just one question that maybe that person can answer for you over the phone, in person, on a Zoom call, do it, okay, doing it over a chat, it um, won't catch the eye of the professional, you know, it, I, I get chat messages all the time, and and names just fly over me, the ones that I remember the most are the ones that have reached out to me, and got on a Zoom call, and we do like a one to two to three hour session uh, of discussion, so I, I, I it's ingrained in my mind, uh, for for remembering that person, okay, um, yeah, network. Just continue continue to network, and then apply. Apply to positions that you are qualified for on a uh, entry level. It doesn't necessarily have to be a medical coding position. You can you know work on a um, on a parallel with other positions such as registration, patient accounts, front office. Uh, I used to work in medical records. I used to be a medical file clerk, medical records file clerk. I used to be a radiology uh, office film librarian, okay, before doing all of that. And I think what's important is, is even though I'm not performing a medical coding function, 
what you want to do is get an insight on how the organizational structure of that healthcare institution, that office is working. And so you want to relate how where you're where you are at in your current position and how it relates from the bottom up to administration. Okay. So that is question number three, really quick. Now let's move on to question number four. How many charts can you code in an hour? Well, um, to give you a bit of insight, I used to work as a CDI specialist back in 2006. I did it for 12 years. I did spend some time working as an inpatient coder, just cross-training for about a year. And now I'm currently an auditor, okay? So, so charts per hour depends on a couple things. How big is the chart? What kind of codes are you assigning? What 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 is it exactly that you're doing with the codes to code that chart? And there's many lo- different levels of functions, different levels of, I guess, um, of functions and duty and, and job requirements that you need to do as a medical coder. Uh, to be a medical coder, I mean, let me give you some numbers. I know for when I was doing inpatient, uh, I know I was doing, I don't know, geez, depends how big it is, but I know I was doing like 40, 50, at some point 60, 60 inpatient charts for the day over eight hours with a half an hour break. So that's about 7.5 hours. So do the do the math. About 40 to 60 in about 7.5 hours. Let me do that math for you. Hold on. Let me do it. Okay. So that math is about, uh, let's just say 60 divided by 7.5. It's about eight charts an hour. Okay. For inpatient. Inpatient because it's, it's you're talking about days of hospitalization by the patient that you have to deal with and it could range from about two days to about 30 days so that's what i was doing uh on a daily basis for cdi i was doing about 10 10 to to 15 new cases and about 20 to 30 follow-up cases depending on what I need to follow up on. So when I say CDI, I'm talking about clinical documentation integrity. Uh, It's a new buzzword uh, in the medical coding community, CDI, but I'm not going to talk about that. But but as a CDI specialist, um, 10 to 12, 10 to 15 new cases and about 20 to 30 uh, follow-up cases per day for about 7.5 hours, okay? Uh, in my auditing job, uh, I can do about 20 charts in a day because I'm auditing records and then I'm writing uh, letters based upon my findings as an auditor. Um, so that is about, let's see. So I can do about 20, but you know, to be comfortable, I could. I usually do, my number is at 17, <laughs> After seventeen, my brain gets a bit bit foggy. I'm kind of aging, you know, aging here. I used to just do a lot, and then I'm fine. But seventeen, after seventeen, I I have a bit of brain fatigue. So seventeen divided by seven point five is about two chart, two to three charts an hour as an auditor. Because remember, you're reviewing the full comprehensive medical record as a as an auditor doing inpatient just by the way and then you are writing up a report on that case you want to make sure that you're applying everything in terms of guidelines and and policies and procedures etc so it requires a little bit more than just reviewing and assigning codes so about two to three hours for an auditor as an inpatient drg validation auditor so keep that in mind so most of my charts per hour has been inpatient um, and it varies. So about eight for inpatient, two to three as an auditor. Um, I'm not too sure what the number was for, for CDI. Uh, let's get into number five. So number five, why did you choose this career? Uh, 
to tell you the truth, I didn't really choose the career. It kind of fell in my lap, <laughs> as most people would would um, would say. Uh, the story goes is that I, I was all over the place. Uh, I was a physical therapy major, pre-med major, nursing major. Um, I wanted to do medical science and do laboratory and pathology. And unfortunately, that program was closed because I qualified for it and then the program closed. Uh, and that's how I fell into health information management, not necessarily medical coding. And I was really interested in the, the technology aspect because there was a formula called a well, formula that was healthcare plus technology equals success. And my main my main objective in going into health information management was to deal with the um, the electronic health record, that process of getting it into there. Because at the time, in 2002, 2003, that's where we were trying to transition, uh, going from a paper-based chart to an electronic medical record. Um, to tell you the truth, when I finished college, I didn't want to do medical coding at all. Hell no. I, I, it's, it's something that I just didn't have a passion for. After I took the classes, even though my professor was totally awesome, uh, Professor Alton Cust, um, it wasn't until that uh, I an employer actually reached out to me. I used to work for this employer for this healthcare system. They actually reached out to me, uh, noticed that I had an RHIA, a Registered Health Information Administrator credential, and they asked me if I wanted to do or be a CDI specialist, apply for it. And um, I said, okay. And uh, I got hired and that was my first exposure to medical coding. And so my first exposure to medical coding was, you know, really a tough uphill battle because I had very basic coding knowledge. I had zero clinical knowledge and I had to start from the bottom. And that was fortunate me fortunate for me because I had uh, been trained by great medical coders with over 30 to 30, 35 years of experience. I've worked with nurses from all uh, specialties. I've worked with physicians uh, from all specialties as well. And that helped me grow into the medical coder, uh, prof- medical coding professional that I am today. So it wasn't that I chose it. It was just presented to me. And I said, okay, why not? Uh, what's the worst that can happen? So, you know, going back to number three or the third question, even though you're not presented with a medical coding um, position, because for me, I thought I would get into more health information technology, the IT role, but that, that never manifested, you know. Um, I was presented with something else. Instead of health information technology, I was presented with clinical documentation, integrity, medical coding, and even though I didn't want to do it, I took it and uh, I ran with it. I struggled with it. I I worked with it and look where I am today. So uh, just to say that even though um, medical coding is your passion, you might find something parallel to that based upon the education that you receive in your associate's program. Let's get it to number six. The Haugen Consulting Group offers healthcare consulting, education, and auditing services utilizing a team of industry experts specializing in leadership, project management, and assessments for HIM and patient access. Their auditors and educators are experts in facility and professional fee coding and offer education for ICD-10-CM, PCS, CPT, HIM, patient access, and revenue cycle. The Haugen Consulting Group is thrilled to be a partner with MedicalCodingGeek.com and the Not Also Classified podcast. Go to thehaugengroup.com/shop and use promo code Geek15 at checkout to receive a discount on webinars and desk aids. Again, go to thehaugengroup.com/shop and use our promo code Geek G E E K one five at checkout. Looking for a convenient, cost-effective solution for interventional radiology coding training? Check out Cracking the IR Code, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology Coding Online Education. 
created by interventional radiology coding expert Stacy Buck of RadRx. This comprehensive online training offers access to content for one year, Q&A support available during your one-year enrollment period, hundreds of coding scenarios, and actual operative reports. What are you waiting for? It's time to earn that specialty credential. Go to RadRx for additional testimonials and information, and use our promo code GEEK10 for special pricing. Again, go to RadRx and use our promo code GEEK10 for special pricing. Number six, what method do you use to ensure that you enter data quickly and correctly? What method? Okay, I think I get that question. So, <laughs> enter data quickly and correctly. One thing that you you are missing is the abstracting part. Abstracting, entering. What is it of knowing what you need to enter and then entering it? Um, to answer that question number six, I'm going to parallel that with playing piano. Uh, if you don't, if you've played piano or if you played an instrument, the one method that I, I knew that worked well for me is to start slow. <laughs> start very slow. Enter your data slowly. Get in a pattern. Develop a system of abstracting and entering. Understanding uh, when you're entering things, there are certain things that you enter that may be entered in another chart. So, you know, certain codes, certain phrases, certain... Um, words you will use frequently and you will develop a system to be proficient and quick in typing those specific codes, words, phrases, whatever it may be. And as you progress and progress, you slowly pick up the tempo, right? Because if you if you go too fast, your quality will go down. So that means cor the correctness, the quality uh, is you need to maintain that. But in order for you to get a good quality and get good speed, you need to start off slow. And so as you go for a certain speed, you check how correctly or your quality score, if it's good, get take it to the next level. Let's let's pick it up a notch with speed. And then when you check to see that your quality is good, well, let's take it up the next step. Okay. And if it's not so good, then maybe you might want to slow down. And if it once you reach a good quality score with that certain speed, you increase the speed again. So you that's that's the process that I would understand you trying to ask me. Uh, with anything, anything in life, start off slow. <laughs> when you are proficient at that speed, at that skill, then you challenge yourself a little bit more. Check to see where you're at. If you're good, is there are you compromising anything? Uh, and and doing things correctly is is what you don't want to compromise because if you're gonna go too quick and just make a bunch of mistakes, well, what was the point of all of that? All of that work goes to waste because you're just trying to um, achieve being quick, being productive. Let's get into number seven. Okay, how do you prioritize your work when entering billing codes? And I'm assuming you're also talking about medical codes for the patient. Okay, uh, so this will translate into number six, what I mentioned with systems. Now, I'm not talking about systems that are implemented by your job. It seems it's, it's your own personal working system on how you do your job. Okay. And how I would prioritize, I, I prioritize differently. Um, it, and it also depends on the day. So when you're saying prioritize, at least for my day as an auditor, do I want to get easier cases out of the way or do I want to get more difficult cases? When I say difficult cases, these are cases that have multiple days and multiple pages. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of pages with a patient who has lots and lots of medical codes that I need to audit for. Okay. So if I know that um, that record is going to take a lot of time, uh, I want to start my day fresh <laughs> with that difficult chart and move and take just get it over with, okay, it, and then move on to 
uh, less difficult charts. And then I want to end on easier charts because my brain is already done. Uh, so I prioritize based upon um, the time that it takes to do one chart. Okay. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to deal with entering codes. It's 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 entering codes for an account and how long it will take you to complete that specific account or medical record. Um, prioritizing in terms of prioritizing billing or medical codes, uh, if you're working with a specific you know, computer system, computer software, computer app, as we call it today. Uh, it's whatever that the field, it's whatever the field asks for first. So if it asks for a principal diagnosis first, that's where you got to work off. And then you got to go through your secondary diagnoses, your procedures, etc. cetera. Uh, maybe your first listed and other diagnoses. It may be your admission diagnosis first, and then you work your way through. Uh, whatever the first thing that comes into the field in your actual application, your your working application. So it all depends. But I like to do difficult things first and then go easier. Or um, I, I don't really work with billing codes because I don't. I am not a medical biller. Uh, but I'm assuming you know you have to prioritize your day depending because it's billing. Um, there is a time requirement on sending out bills for pay. So you want to make sure that your your cash flow is coming in. Uh, so there is also a time constraint, which which bills need to be sent out, because if they're not sent out in time, then you're potentially losing uh, the ability to receive your reimbursement in a timely manner. OK. All right. So that's the first seven questions. Let's get on to the next seven questions. OK, uh, so I'm going to show them to you here. Uh, let's get on to number eight. I've heard that it is hard to find employment in this field without experience. Uh, how did you get your foot into the door? Uh, this would probably go back to, uh, question number, uh, three. I'm tying that question in with number eight. What are some tips? Okay. So that probably answers that question, okay? Um, but how do you get your foot in the door network? I, as I as already explained that, it's hard to find employment. Uh, if you are limited in the area that you want to work in, the ability to find employment expands when you have the ability to move around, Right. If you're willing to relocate, uh, remote is an option. OK, uh, but remote requires, at least for me, a level of experience, expertise to do the job, because, you know, if I'm trying to hire a remote worker, I want to know that that person can do the job. OK, um, but I think that that has changed a lot because of, you know, the use of. Uh, communication technology and the fact that we can do things remotely and as long as that edu that as long as that um, employer has a good educational component a good educational department that provides training go for it so um, how did I get my foot in the door it really my my my, my situation was unique because it was just presented to me and it was it was the, the, the opportunities that were presented to me were opportunities that I didn't really want. It wasn't, I wasn't looking for it. It just came to me and I, and I said, well, okay, it looks great. What's the worst that can, that can happen? And I took it. Okay. So one best words of advice that I can give, and I've given it to uh, a recent graduate um, where she was just, she was so honed in on getting a data analytics position and she was applying everywhere and I told her look relax don't look for the position let the position look for you let the opportunities come to you okay as I think when you chase it it kind of runs away the opportunity but if you're not looking for it the, the opportunity tends to come to you so I say you know apply 
but you know, keep your options open. I think that's 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 very important. When you keep your options open, then the opportunities will come to you, even though it's a position that you may not want. But even though, let's say, the pay is great, uh, the opportunity to grow is great, uh, the fact that they are uh, they're able to teach you and train you, I think, is a plus. Right? Is a plus if they're willing to train you. Because people that don't hire new coders uh, or employers that don't hire new coders, the reason is is that they don't have an educational component that would allow you to that would allow them to teach new coders to bring them into the company and put them you know train them to be a a uh, productive uh, medical coder. Okay, uh, so look for companies that have the ability to train to have good training you know training components. In their company, I think that's how you would get a foot in the door. But apply to places that you think are very parallel to what you do. You know, take a look at your skills and see what you do, and you know, do a research and find parallels in in different positions that that would you would qualify for. And that's how you get a foot in the door. Once you get your foot in the door, then understand the process, understand the organization of the of the area. And if you're still into medical coding, then get into it. Ask for it. Network, find, you know, go find the people that work in that department and network with them and develop a relationship with them. And then when an opening comes up, which most people in the in the profession, that's what happens to them. Then they get into a medical coding position and there they're in it and then they move their way through. So that's number eight. Let's look at, whoa, you went from eight to ten. <laughs> so I guess so I guess there's only 14 questions, right? OK, so there's no nine. Uh, let's <laughs> let's get the ten. Are there coding transcriptionist jobs? That's an interesting question. Coding transcriptionist? Um, no. Medical coding is is one job function. Trans being a medical transcriptionist is another job. Now. Now, now, let me let me step back. There is no title called coding transcriptionist, but you can be a let's say an office worker um, or an employer or I'm sorry, an employee that has two job functions. You can perform the jobs as a medical coder. And if they need you, then you and they train you, you can do medical transcription. You can do both, but there's no there is no title called a coding transcriptionist job. You can do either one or the other. What is the most memorable error in coding that you've caught? Uh, I don't know about that question. An error. Ugh. I don't have, you know, the thing is, well, here's, there's nothing memorable. <laughs> I'm going to answer this question, but not really to answer this question. There's nothing memorable about my errors, right? Um, there wasn't one that, and, and most errors, uh, somebody else got. <laughs> it's never that I catch it. All right. Um, Cause if you, well, it's it's an error if you didn't catch it, right? If you caught it, then it's not an error, right? Technically saying, if if you caught the error, if you caught the mistake, it's not really an error unless it's reported as as such and then caught as an error. I think that's that's how I'm trying to understand that. Um, but to answer that question, I'm going to answer it in a way about error. So. If I, I make a lot of errors. I've made a lot of errors in my career. I've made a lot of mistakes in my career. I've made a lot of mistakes in life. Hey, you know, that's, that's life, right? Um, but what I've been able to do is learn from them fast. <laughs> because if you make an error, what happens? Uh, it gets to your supervisor or team leader and the the only way I'm presented with errors is by somebody else. It's never when I catch it. Um, and it's presented to me. And they say, hey, you made a mistake. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
Um, can you kind of walk me through that process as to why you made an error? And it's usually because I'm, again, going too fast, right? Going back to your, um, uh, how do you enter data quickly? Is either I was going too fast or I may not have known about a certain aspect in assigning that code or assigning something that has caused that error. Uh, that's something that may have happened or maybe I just didn't see it, just oversight. You know, I just didn't see it and I didn't catch it, right? So those are the most three, the the most error, the kinds of errors that I've made. Um, but when I get caught with an error, uh, there's always an educational component. I need to educate myself about it, right? Um, if it is uh, just straight error, like I missed it, I've always I always have to remind myself, and it's always it's always good to write notes, uh, but I always take mental note um, about things in in making an error. If I, and I think it really comes down to focus. If you're not focused enough to do the job, then you need to just kind of back off a little bit and get back in. So I'm aging here. I'm over forty. Uh, my focus is going down. <laughs> <laughs> my attention, my attention to detail is 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 it's good, but I can notice it getting you know it's declining a bit. So I have to do things to keep myself really focused. Um, you know, not doing so much. You know, trying to relax, get good sleep, etc. But you know, one of the things is focus. Stay focused so that way you don't get the error. When you get the error, educate yourself and then stay focused and per- to prevent that error. Um, is there anything memorable? No, because <laughs> it just goes out the window for me uh, when I get the error because um, I just don't want it to happen again. Uh, I've, you know, I've been written up for uh, making a mistake, not necessarily in coding, but like um, with my medical record function where I couldn't find a, a medical record and it was found somewhere else, but I didn't do a good job of finding it per se. Uh, that's something that I get written up, written up for, um, what else? But it's just mostly small stuff that get caught. It's nothing memorable about it to me. So I, unfortunately I really can't answer that question for you, but I can answer it in such a way that if you make an error, learn from the error and stay focused. Let's get to the question number 12, 11, whatever. The next question, <laughs> what kind of books should I always have on hand? in my personal library that will help me with my career. Ah, okay, so um, let me go over here. So um, I'm pulling from my library here because there there are two books that I have that I've kept uh, since I graduated with my bachelor's in health information management. Um, but to answer your question, let's see. Books should you always have on hand? It's not so much books. I think it's just more resources now because, um, you know, everything is saved on the Internet. One thing that I save are um, regulatory websites like CMS. Uh, I, I always follow the OIG, the officer, Office of Inspector, Inspector General. I think the resources that you need to have is really good websites, uh, Becker's. Uh, ICD-10 Monitor, AAPC, AHIMA. Um, there are also great consulting websites that are out there that provide some news. Um, fill your email with good resources. Um, but you know, email is kind of like really old. So uh, social media is great. Twitter is good for business. LinkedIn is great as well for resources. But to answer your question on books, let me show you one book that I've kept um, is this book. Okay. A Health Information Management of a Strategic Resource, second edition. This is a really old book going back to uh, 2002. Jeez. <laughs> it's over tw- this is over 20 years old. But I keep the book because it's just a constant reminder of for me that if I'm ever in a position that I don't know what to do, I need to sit down and relax and go back to my basics, 
right? So I have always kept this. I don't use it now, but this was a lifesaver for me when I was a medical records director for our jail system. And I was a bit overwhelmed. And I said, oh, my goodness, I I think I know what I need to do, but I need more details on how to do it. And so I went to my office and I locked myself and I kind of went over this book as I was doing my job. Okay. Um, the next book that I have here is is this one here. Um, Improving Quality, A Guide to Effective Programs. This book was great because, not really the book, but the class was great because you know, it helped me question things. Uh, when you receive information, you have to scrutinize it. And that's something that has always carried me through, even now as an auditor. Uh you have to, even though you receive information and social media is not, social media is not your great source of information, but even if you get that information from social media or anywhere else, you want to do your due diligence and do your resource, re- research, I'm sorry, and don't rely on that source. Consider that like a second-hand or third-hand source. You want to get to the primary source. Oh, that's your objective. In, in you know trying to receive information it always has to be from the primary source so those are my two books that i always have on hand but everything else has always been internet based number 13 what was your most favorable place to work as a medical coder um my most favorable place has always been in the hospital um, I worked for a healthcare system, but I had the the opportunity to work in all of the hospitals within the healthcare system. There was about five, but the most memorable was the one that um, had a lot of specialties. I worked for a level one trauma unit, right? So I, I was exposed to trauma cases, trauma ICU, neuro ICU. Uh, this hospital also had a cardiac center. So I was exposed to open heart, bypass, cardiac catheterizations, um, uh, pacemaker, defibrillators, you know, any any type of cardiac uh, condition or procedure, I, I probably had exposure to it. Um, I've also worked that also that a hospital system also had a pediatric unit. Um, so I, even though that's not really my specialty per se, but I've had exposure to it. I've exposure to psychiatric uh, newborns, moms, oncology, uh, ortho neuro, right? Since it was trauma, um, I've dealt with that. Medical search, um, critical care, ICU. Uh, so there's that that one hospital is over 700 bed facility. So you know, it was great because I had exposure to a lot of specialties, and it helped me grow as a medical coder. All right, next question. When you were in school, oh geez, that's about <laughs> that's many years ago, twenty years ago. What was your best study trick that you had learned? Best study trick. Um, as a student, study trick is. I really have to think about that. Gosh, you're telling me. <laughs> How did I how did I study? Um, well, the way I studied in school was in pieces. I never studied um, were I never studied in long segments. I always studied in shorter segments. So what I did, I guess, what I did is I broke my study material into sections. Okay, and whatever. I needed to study for, I would take that one section, I would study it, okay? And then I would take a break, then I would come back and study the next section, take a break, and then um, do the next section. What I did during the break, though, even though I was relaxing, is more contemplating uh, what I studied, right? Thinking about, pondering, like, what did I just read? I'm not really, you know, intensive. When you think of study, you're trying to absorb right but when you take a break 
you are contemplating. What did I just read? Does it make sense? Um, what best scenarios could come up with in in in, the, in an exam question, etc. Uh, so I really contemplate. But you know, if if I had a study, it was always in pieces. But one best words of advice that um, another student who just graduated, uh, Erica, she said to make a schedule. So always schedule yourself in terms of uh, studying. Another another study trick that I've I've seen is um, study cards. Uh, that's great, but it goes. It, it's great because it helps you teach, learn in segments. Never, never take a book and then flip through the book. Always take a piece of information, put it on a study card, and just learn that piece of information until you're proficient. Then move on to the next. Then move on to the next. Don't take, um, don't take, don't take a bite of something that you really can't take a bite out of. Just like uh, how what was the, what was the analogy? Don't take. The best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. <laughs> I think that's that's the that's the advice that I was given. So that's number fourteen. All right, let's get to the is that yeah the fourteen right? Let's get to the last question. The last question I'm going to pull it up here um, is what extra credentials did you get, if any, and why? All right, so. Um, I have my RHIA, which is a Registered Health Information Administrator credential, brought to you by the American Health Information Management Association. Uh, the next credential that I got because I was a CDI specialist was the CDIP, Certified, uh, sorry, Clinical Documentation Improvement Practitioner. It was required. I mean, it wasn't really required, but I got it because I was a CDI specialist and I just wanted to. Uh, get a leg up in the industry. Um, have I gotten any other certification? Well, the next certification that I would think of considering is the CCS. But in my role, I mean, even though they asked for it, they it would help. Um, you know, I've been uh, maybe I'm tired of getting certifications, but there are people who get certifications upon certifications upon certifications, just just as a testament of themselves, right? For, for their own personal gain, not necessarily not necessarily for their profession. It's just, hey, I, I got a credential, I'm proficient in it. Um, you know, I, I did it, right? It's like a it's like a medal. Uh, but for me, just the process of getting that credential is a lot, and I. And I feel I only need credentials based upon what I do. So the CCS, the Certified Coding Specialist by AHIMA is something that I would consider. Other ones that I would really, you know, I guess entertain the fact of thinking about getting is the CDEO um, by AAPC. There's also the CDEI by AAPC. There's also the CRC. Uh, this, the, the last two of the credentials that I talked about were more CDI credentials, but I already have my CDIP. Um, I'm thinking, uh, I've always looked at the CRC, the uh, Certified Risk Coder, Certified Risk Adjustment Coder, which is um, uh, something that's very popular nowadays. That's something that I would look at. The CPMA, Certified Professional in Medical Auditing. I think that's the that's the credential by AAPC as an auditing uh, credential that I would think about. But, you know, again, when you think about getting credentials, you have to think about the association that you're going to join. And uh, I just don't like joining two associations. I just want to stick with one and work with the other without getting a membership fee. I like to streamline my stuff. So I have one association which is AHIMA. Uh, not to say that AAPC is not great. They're great people. They're, they have great associations. They have great have, have a great community. And I've worked with them. I've actually been a speaker at their national conference. Um, but the next one that I would probably think about, it's not a credential. It's more like a, a designation. It is the AHIMA uh, approved trainer for ICD-10 and NPCS. I really want to continue on being an educator and I, I figured maybe this trainer um, designation or license would allow me to do that uh, to leverage this technology that I'm using here um, to help people understand medical coding uh, from all walks of life from all levels of understanding uh, I think that would be the best bet so that is 
15, 14 questions that I answered. Um, hopefully uh, this helps you out. Um, and I am inviting you to come back to this channel so that way you can kind of give me feedback on the questions that I answered for you. And I wanted a little, you know, get a little bit more about uh, what happened <laughs> that led to this. And also, you know, where you're at in your school and what are your aspirations. So there you have it. That is me, Brian Quee, doing a solo, <laughs> a solo interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I'm looking forward to having her back on the YouTube channel, the Medical Coding Geek YouTube channel, to get some feedback on those questions and to again get an idea of what happened. What, what exactly happened? You went on to, you know, this person went to Facebook, found somebody, and and then what? Like that's something that that we need to bring out. Um, fortunately enough, I didn't mention in the intro is that when I posted on LinkedIn, there was such an outpouring of support of professionals reaching out and reaching out to me saying hey if you need somebody uh that if you have a student that needs help i am willing to do it and and uh i I was very overwhelmed with that so i i do appreciate those that responded to my linkedin post i will be putting you down on the list and if a student comes out uh and cannot find anybody i think that's that's really uh, where we're going at. If we can't find anybody, uh, then we will do it. But of course, for me, if you're going to do it with me, if you can do it with a professional, I think we should record it and have it released. Uh, just to show, like, look, th- this is what we're doing in the industry. Uh, we're not just sending emails and answering emails and doing it behind the scenes. I want to bring forth into the limelight uh, the the interaction between the students and the professional. Medicalcodinggeek.com